0: This week on Dig Me Out... I don't think there's anything wrong with the material. I guess I just, it didn't work for me as well. And Tim and Jay review, Try Some, Eat One by Love Spit Love. We don't know why we believe
1: what we believe. So- Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Manici and joining me as always my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak... Jade is episode 227, 227. Um, right now, if you're listening, I will have plugged in the 227 theme song as we discussed on episode 225. So just awesome. sit back and enjoy. Okay, I'm glad you've all enjoyed the 227 <laughs> theme song. Oh, what memories we have! <laughs> Marla Gibbs. Uh, let's move on to this requested review, Jay. Requested,
0: requested review. review.
1: We have we haven't even had one of our own picks this year. Every really? week it's been a re- yeah. Every single episode that has been a review episode has been a requested review. Cool. Yeah. And we greatly appreciate that, everybody. You know, I just want to take a moment say thank you, everybody who's contributed over the years. Keeps the podcast rolling, keeps the bills from piling up, and the bill collectors coming after us. So uh, we do greatly appreciate it. And this week we are appreciating uh, Kent Fackenthal. I hope I pronounced that correct correctly. Kent, he suggested to us the album "Try Some, Eat One" by Love Spit Love. Now, Jay, were you familiar with Love Spit Love before this review?
0: No, they fell in the category of I heard the band name mm-hmm. and probably made some assumptions about what they were, but never really heard the band.
1: Yeah, same thing. I remember seeing, I think, the, the album cover for the first album. We're reviewing the second, they only put out two records. We're reviewing the second album. So when I talk about the history of this band, you know, some things will pop up that we'll be like, oh, really? Should have known that. So we're both going to have a little egg on our face when it comes to uh, this band. So let's get into it. History of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: When the Psychedelic Furs went on extended hiatus in 1992, Richard Butler contacted guitarist Richard Fortas, whose band Pale Divine had been the opener on the Psychedelic Furs' final U.S. tour. The two began to collaborate on what Butler expected would become his first solo record. They enlisted drummer Frank Ferrer to help develop the material, and the songs took shape. However, Butler opted to push the project into a new band, and that was Love Spit Love. So this is Richard Butler from the Psychedelic Furs. We should have picked up. Did you pick up on that, or did you do some research? Or
0: uh, I did a little bit of research, and... It was pretty obvious right away.
1: Right, and the vocal is very
0: uh, recognizable.
1: So they brought in uh, Richard Butler's brother Tim to play bass. He also co-wrote six of the songs on the album, and to um, record the self-titled debut, which was released in August of 1994 on Imago Records or Imago. I'm not sure how to pronounce that exactly. So, Butler and Fortis undertook a series of promotional dates in mid-94 to perform acoustically. And then in late-94, they enlisted bassist Lonnie Hillier to fill in for uh, Tim Butler. Near the end of 95, the band was approached by the music supervisor of the movie The Craft, classic 90s movie, Hmm. who inquired if the band might record a cover of The Smiths' How Soon Is Now. After initial reluctance, the band recorded the song and it was released as a single from the movie's soundtrack in 1996. And then years later, Warner Brother reused the band's cover as a theme song for the television series Charmed. So it got used on uh, two different instances of witchcraft. I don't know, I never thought of that as a witchy song, I guess, but uh, they made the connection. Uh, so for most of 95 and 96, the band found themselves... In a uh, precarious situation with their label, uh, the Imago or Imago, whatever you say, it was a joint venture between Terry Ellis and BMG. And they lost their distribution deal with BMG at the end of '94. Ellis retained the contracts to the label's bands and hoped to find a new distributor. But by '96, the label went back bankrupt, leaving the band to find another home. Uh, that later that year, Love Spit Love signed with Maverick Records that being Madonna's record label, and Chris Wilson replaced uh, Hillier on bass. The band's second album, Try Some, Eat One, which we are reviewing, was released in August of 1997. After touring in support of the album, Love Love, Spit Love spent the rest of the 1990s idle before announcing an indefinite hiatus in the year 2000, and that year the psychedelic first reformed with both... Richard Fortas and Frank Ferrer rejoining the reformed lineup so that is the history of Love Spit Love if you would like to suggest an album for us to review please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com so we did get some Facebook feedback on this album Jay Uh, Eric Grubbs says fall on tears is greatness on the same level as as the best psychedelic furs. That is high praise from Mr. Grubbs. But he's got he's got backup because Joe Roiland, who just was on our podcast last week, he said, I prefer the first album more, but this one was still good. I'll also second Eric Grubbs' statement. So we have a statement from Grubbs and then seconded by Roiland, so I think that means the amendment passes, Jay.
0: <laughs> no filibuster?
1: No filibuster. It's out of committee. So let's talk about what worked and what did not work for Try Some, Eat One. Did I say that right? I I was saying that wrong. Yeah, Try Some, Eat One, the 1997 album by Love Spit Love. Last time we did a review, Jay, I went first. So I'm going to kick it to you. Please tell me one thing that worked for you on this record.
0: The vocal. I mean, when you got, you know, a singer with a distinctive voice... Distinctive way of phrasing things, a, a great ability to deliver a lyric, you really are best served to build around that. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the better psychedelic first songs do that. And mm-hmm. um, I'll say that the I think the better songs on this record do the same thing.
1: So the one thing that I really liked about this record, I liked hearing Richard Butler go into new territory. Okay. Eric and and Joe both said that Fall on Tears was like the best, one of the best, you know, psychedelic first songs, which I'm not going to disagree with, but I liked hearing him do some stuff that didn't sound like psychedelic first. Examples of that would be uh, track 11, More Than Money. I don't want to say it's typical of late 90s, but it has, a, a you know, a somewhat almost industrial feel. Like mm-hmm. if it, uh, you, you could be it could be in the same ballpark as like a Stabbing Westward or a God Lives Underwater or something like that. That song. Yeah. And I, I liked hearing him tackle that because I think his voice works well with that style, um, whether or not the music is even at the same level is you know another discussion that we'll have later. But I liked hearing him stretch. Um, I liked hearing it on uh, what was it? Sweet thing, I think was another one, and uh, Little Fist. All these had hallmarks of of '90s more aggressive sounds, which was something I was not expecting out of a Richard Butler record. Um, and maybe I need to go back and listen to the first record. But when the you know when the first song kicked in you know and even if you know the first probably five songs i was like well this isn't you know this is the furs but you know not as synthy you know it's it's more guitar based and i can i can understand that and then as the album develops he starts going into new territories and i and i enjoyed that
0: well before i realized who was in the band um and just went by the name i was expecting uh, essentially what more than money is um or something like Little Fist. Something, um, you know, dark, nearing industrial, but probably, you know, not quite that far. Still, you know, rock format, but with some industrial influences. So I was, but then when I, you know, sort of did the research before we did the review and realized who the singer was, and so then I said, well, I, I guess I don't know what this is going to be. <laughs> so as it got into it, I really was compelled by the I guess the material that you would, you know, say sounds more like psychedelic first. I just felt like some of the other stuff, let's just say All God's Children since we're picking on that song, um, are calling it out. You're right. It does I mean it's interesting to hear him go there. Um, you talk about more than money
1: or sweet thing cuz All God's Children is like this I'm sorry, I'm mellow sorry, more than money. More than money. Okay. Yeah, more than money. Um,
0: it was I guess it's interesting to hear him you know, go in different places and pull that off. I just felt like when he's, when he's him, you know, it elevates to something truly unique. And when he's doing that, it's just, you know, God lives underwater, you know? And I think he's way better than that. So on that, some of that stuff, I don't think there's anything wrong with the material. I guess I just, it didn't work for me as well. And and some of this is, I I associate his voice so much with, like, 80s alternative pop, you know? Right. I mean, it's just one of those things, like, you hear it and just, you just, this wave of nostalgia comes over you. And you sort of feel like, it's just one of those things for me, like, when I hear his voice, I just feel like I I can, um, I almost have that sense of, like, it's the mid-80s. You know what I mean? Like, I can totally go, I can close my eyes and go there for half a second, you know what I mean? Even if it's on um, this material, which is obviously not from then, but just because of his voice, so I was just really enjoying that that aspect of it. I was enjoying the um, uh, the idea of, of doing of approaching the keyboards either in a different way or you know maybe not as pronounced but still there um, and hearing what you know he did in in a, in a different format. It, it, you know, it's still going, it's still growing and moving forward but maybe not as dramatic as, as some of the, couple of the other, there's only probably three or four songs on here where I think he he goes a little too 90s for me. And I, and I kind of like him mm. just, you know, progressing his sound um, a little bit with some new, you know, band members and some new ideas here and there, but not going to the point where he just kind of falls in, in line or just becomes another alternative rock band.
1: What's your take on what uh, Eric and Joe said? Did you feel like Fall on Tears? I mean, they're basically saying it's the best song on the record and one of the best songs of uh, Richard Butler's career. Are you Are you on that same train?
0: Well, I can't say. I mean, I know the, what, four or five, you know, big singles from the Psychedelic Furs. I don't know their catalog well enough to be able to make that statement. Right. But it is one of my favorite songs on the record. I'm watching the world. I like that he can do kind of mid-tempo, he can do lush guitars, you know, he can, he really works well when, you know, the music's carrying the melody uh, sometimes, Um, and he can, and he can kind of play off of that, like either uh, push it in another direction or follow it at times or let the, in the case of like long, long time, he lets the guitar kind of take the hook. So he'll deliver the chorus, and then there's a kind of a little music break there. But as they go back into the verse, and the guitar l- plays a, a melody that kind of becomes as hooky as the uh, the vocal is, mm-hmm. which reminded me of the the psychedelic first song "Love My Way." You know where the key that keyboard melody is almost right as important as the vocal hook, and they sort of work off of each other in a really w- great you know kind of balanced way. So you know that's when this. for me when this record works it it approaches that kind of dynamic which is uh i found enjoyable
1: i'll have to say i I spent a lot more time with the lyrics to this song than i probably have with any psychedelic furs song Mm. um i was there's a lot of interesting and you know I, i i took it in the direction that you know this is a guy who's who's already had his big career essentially so he's a, he can kind of say what he wants to say he doesn't have to worry about writing pop lyrics so like a song like friends is a very interesting lyrically song or, or it's a very interesting song to analyze because he's basically talking about how uh, he has to be around people you know He has to be in conversations and he has no interest in speaking to anybody. You know, he's got a, he has a party. There's a line where he's like, somebody's got a party where I go. I wish I lost the invitation. There's nobody there. I know conversation gets too loud. Too many people want to talk. I wish they'd turn it all down and everybody's got a million different points of view. But when you're looking out the window that they're looking through, don't you think it's kind of stupid trying to jump into the rat race train that's going the same way too? There's a thousand better ways that I could spend my time than a conversation with somebody. <laughs> and it's just—it's so angry, but i, I kind of love it because he's kind of unleashed. You know, he doesn't have to write pop singles and pop love songs and that sort of thing. Can cover that in a couple different songs on the record.
0: Yeah, and I'd rather him deliver that lyrically than music. Sometimes musically, you know, mm-hmm. it, that song's kind of got a—I don't know. How would you describe the feel of that song? really bouncy and is it vaudevilly? I i don't know it's almost kind of like a old yeah it's got a
1: of. it's got a bounce it's got like a swing yeah to it and uh it's like bump you know, bump, 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 bump bump it's almost yeah yeah, yeah.
0: and then the lyrics the darker lyrics kind of play off of that really well as opposed to when you've got dark lyrics and dark music and it loses a little bit of the interest factor and you don't have that contrast Staring at the front door in my coat It's kind of rainy, I have a feeling I don't want to know
1: didn't work for you
0: on the record it really it was just that i mean it was just um let's see more than money um there were some songs like uh, last track november five it's okay but it, it kind of goes in the weird place in the middle gets like jane's addiction-y it's like anytime
1: I, a bit, I i guess anytime well, it's like weird jazz chords in that song yeah, or something.
0: Yeah, and I kind of dug that. I was like, all right, that's interesting, you know, it, as a, as it especially as an album closer, you know, just kind of do something quirky and, and that way. But in the middle of the song, they kind of go into this Chains Addiction thing. Yeah, it's like a, ball, a ball, ball
1: guitars. Freak and, out.
0: Yeah, and any time it, it, this record made me think of another band from the 90s, I liked it less. <laughs> I just, hmm. I, wanted it to, I just wanted it to stand on its own and be classic, you know. Another band I heard a lot that I actually liked hearing was The Jam and, and the way that he phrases things and, and some of the the approaches on some of these songs. It, it reminded me a lot of Paul Waller, and I like that because I'm like, oh, well, that's probably, you know, somebody who was either an influence on him or somebody, you know, sure. kind of a peer – that makes sense, but like when I heard Jane's Addiction or Nine Inch Nails or even like uh, I don't know the timing of this, but I felt like Little Fist f- sounded a l- little like Catherine Wheel to me.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I when I heard I th- it might have been that song that kind of reminded me of uh, of Happy Days or Wishville, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was thinking like, oh, when 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 Rob Dickinson was trying to inject more personality. Mm-hmm. And as a vocalist after like Ferment and, and Chrome, where he was the, the vocal was a little bit more buried, like this is kind of where he should have been going. Like, they shouldn't have gotten louder with like Happy Days, they should have gotten you know cleaner and got rid of the, the chorused guitar and the chorused vocal and the delay and stuff like that. But the getting the band huge around him almost made his vocal smaller. When yeah. if the band had been a little bit smaller which they were on wishville then his vocal was allowed to shine a little bit more. But by then I think the band was kind of burnt out. Uh, but I definitely heard Catherine wheel a couple times and, and Rob Dickinson specifically on yeah. this record just as a tur not like an influence or anything like that, but just like I, I could kind of hear, or maybe Rob Dickinson was listening to psychedelic furs. Yep.
0: Uh, yeah. And, and, and to your point about the band getting bigger, I mean, I love riffs. I love big rock sounds, you know. Um, but to your, I think uh, I'm totally on the same page about with this band, you don't want the, the band to get bigger than the voice. And uh, even, even I wouldn't say like, you know, there's some songs holistically work, but there's parts where I'm like, ah, I would have done this different. So like I think Believe has kind of got like a real simple uh, big chord chorus with breaks in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just an opportunity for him to, he kind of just follows in line and and fills in the space and and it's not, that's not really what I want from him. You know what I mean? So I almost wish that like they would have done a different chorus or I don't know if maybe, you know, in that format, he just it's a little bit uh he just kind of fell in line with what the guitars were doing because they were so big you know it's like big riff here's the space mm-hmm. okay i guess i sing just moments like that where you're like ah you know that could have been a little bit better or you know you could have pulled back and just let him let the vocal come forward a little bit more built built the song i guess maybe more importantly built the song uh, a little bit more around the vocal at times um so it's a, it's a little inconsistent that way the, uh, another thing i liked quite a bit on this record was uh the bridges there's a lot of great bridges on this record where you know the cor- the verse will be interesting and the chorus will be like yeah it's okay and then they get to the bridge and you're like oh that was so good like, you know like you just throw these parts in either towards the end of the song or, or a traditional bridge would go that are um you know, i would say at least half half the record has moments like that where you know, it's just a great chord change or just a different shift in the melody. And it kind of makes uh, a couple of these songs, which are, you know, pretty good, but not great.
1: Great. Just because of the, the they add that extra part that's, uh really brings it together. Well, one of the songs that doesn't do that, which I, I actually liked, was um, Seven Years. Which I think when you mentioned the Paul Weller, that mm-hmm. was one where I, I kind of heard like more current Paul Weller than like the jam Uh, but it's just one of those like simple catchy hooky little songs it's not even three minutes long I don't think that even has a bridge it might have a little a brief instrumental part, Mm -hmm. but that's about it but it's one of those like it's a simple album track for this album but that could have easily been a single for a psychedelic first record yep and it's just sort of you know buried halfway through this record Damn all the days seven.
0: It is a nice little song. It's a, um, it's real short. Yeah. Simple. It's folk. You know, like it does what I like. You know, it's folk, His voice is driving those verses. The bass player on this record is really good, or at least the bass parts are. Uh, does a really good job on some of the better songs of uh, really supporting the melody. Can do some some of the sparser parts, kind of fill in the space and do some interesting things that they don't get in the way. They just kind of overall make it feel. I don't know, fuller and just more melodic. Um, and that's a song where I think, you know, it's it's pretty simple. But when you listen to the bass part, you're like, oh, that's really nice. And it's really supporting the melody and uh, playing a big role.
1: So this album came out in 97. Do you feel like for 1997, there's an obvious single?
0: Hmm. 97. Where were, where, what was going on in 97? Give me a point of reference. Well, are we are we into uh, where we at?
1: You're you're into um, Limp Biscuit, Spice Girls, second Foo Fighters record is huge. Mm. Um, you know that kind of stuff. I don't think so. Like I could that was the thing that held me not held me back, but that made me go oh because I didn't heard I never heard this record I didn't remember the album cover but I did remember the first album cover and. I was trying to think, well why wasn't this more successful? What what was the problem here? Cuz it's not even like you can't even find this hardly anywhere. To listen yeah. to it. And I think it's because there's it was the time frame which it was released. Like 7 years. If this would have been released maybe 2 or 3 years earlier, 7 years could have been the lead single.
0: I agree. There there were a couple years late with this kind of thing. When was uh I feel like there was moments in the 90s where we had like 80s pop bands kind of research resurface well duran duran yeah and uh i just felt like there was like some of those bands that were alternative pop or uh new romantic or whatever would have opportunities and that was probably 95 and before right by 97 like things got so dumb (laughs) right or maybe even like late at the very end of the 90s early 2000s
1: so, for, for like Duran Duran, 93 is when um, Ordinary World and Come Undone were released. And those were huge singles. Yeah. So then, after that, the next record was Thank You, which was a covers record. Yep. And they got a couple singles off of that one. I believe White Lines was a, a single from that record. And then apparently perfect day was released as a single well but I remember a video for white lines
0: didn't um didn't the modern English uh, I'm out with you didn't that get some kind of like re Did, wasn't that kind of a hit again in the 90s somehow like re-recorded or re-released or something do you remember that
1: well um I'm trying to think
0: is it used in a commercial maybe or a TV show or some
1: well it was originally released in 82. Yeah. Um, and then it got... It hit the U.S. charts in in 83. And then they re-recorded it, apparently, in 90. And it actually got up to 76 in the Billboard Hot 100.
0: Okay, so like 90? Yeah. Early 90s? Yeah. Yeah. So again, it was like 90 to 94. Four or five was probably the time when this band would have had most uh easiest... Path to uh, getting some singles on the radio.
1: Perhaps you're thinking of the um, acoustic cover that Jason Mraz did for the Fifty First Dates movie. Oh God, no. which I'm sure was to a, with a reggae beat. I had to, I have to guess.
0: No, I think. Oh, it was uh, uh Modern English line was written by in 1990, and everything is Mad in '96. Also, in the early '90s, "I You with, with You" was played in a successful Burger King ad.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> That's probably it. Yeah. Well, we've we've gone a far afield here. Uh, let's get back to Love Spit Love. Let's give our overall ratings for this record. Jay, worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where do you lie on our scale?
0: It's a worthy album for me. Um, I like this quite a bit. It's uh, got me uh, interested in the first record. I'm gonna give that a spin and see see what I think and compare the two. You know, on most of these reviews, if it spurs me to go spend time with, you know, records before or after, it's it's a, mm-hmm. it's a full good record. So, um, yeah, there's probably two, maybe one or two songs on here that I could drop and be happy. Um, but for the most part, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty solid. And if you'd like to suck Dale Furs, I think it's a good sort of next step Yeah, progression.
1: I agree with that. I'm also to where the album... I would probably cut this down to 10 songs. Uh, November 5th, like you mentioned, that Jane's Addiction Jam just kind of wrecks the song. I think if that had been just like a two-minute long sort of... With the way it starts as being just a you know acoustic guitar and doing the some of the jazzy stuff, yeah. that's fine. Make it two minutes and the record. Um, I also was not a huge fan of um, All God's Children, I think it's because I don't love his voice with slower stuff. I like him to have a bit of a tempo behind it.
0: I don't mind his voice with slower stuff. I just think it's not a great song. It's just kind of...
1: That could be it too. It's
0: probably probably one of the weaker. From a music songwriting standpoint, one of the weaker songs on the record.
1: Agreed. So we need to thank Kent Fackenthal for suggesting this album, to worthy albums from myself and Jay, and of course, if you would like to suggest an album for us to review, please, review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Um, right now, we're just doing regular old open reviews, but we're going to have some theme months coming up, and there might be an opportunity to request an album that fits in with one of our theme months, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Um, that's it for me and Jay. Next week, we'll have an interview. Uh, not sure. We've, we've done a couple interviews. I'm not sure which one is going to go up. But I, I think I got an ad- idea which one one's going to go up. But you'll have to find out once that gets posted. That's a call to tease, which I don't do very well. But anyway, uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. I'll dig me out no place like home. With your join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages Yeah.